The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. As you can see on the screen behind me, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin the reading there in verse number 40. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. Mark 1 and verse 40. Very short reading here, only about five verses. Mark 1 and verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying, If thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion and put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed and straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. And saith unto him, Thou sayest nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself in the priest, and offer for thyself the cleansing of those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Verse 45, And he went out and began to publish it much, and to ablaze abroad the matter, insomuch as Jesus could not openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Most likely in your life, you've heard over and over and over again as a Bible student about the terrible nature of leprosy. Most likely you've heard all the things that we have come to know, or at least we've come to assume, I think, in more cases than not, about what leprosy was like. You've heard about how leprosy caused a man to have deep inset, deep-seated pain within his or her body. You've heard about how leprosy caused a man or woman to lose their limbs, to lose uh, digits from their fingers up into the whole hand. How it has caused them to lose parts of their faces, their ears, their noses, their even their lips and, and their eyelashes and eyebrows will be falling off of their bodies. You've heard how leprosy causes their skin to turn white in splotches, how it causes their skin to be dried and even to fall from, from their arms or even from their legs. You've heard how leprosy causes their voices to become raspy, how it causes them to ultimately to lose their voice and ultimately, as we know it, to lose their lives. You've heard how leprosy caused in the Old Testament days as well as New Testament times and even today with a great level of understanding about it and what caused it, how it caused a person to be separated completely from society. You've also understood as Bible students how that leprosy is oftentimes mentioned and used in the New and Old Testaments alike as simply that being a picture of sin. Now why is that? It's because of what leprosy was representative of. Leprosy, for example, is representative of sin because it was that which ultimately would encapsulate the whole of man. It is that which would make man ugly from the outside in. It is that which would contaminate the things that all of the lepers would touch, even down to their clothing. When they would touch something that would be uh, laid upon by leprosy, those garments, those things would be taken away according to the old law and would have to be burned outside of the camp. 
Those things would have to be taken apart from the camp, even to the extent that if that body, if that person would die, their body would oftentimes, depending on the uh, the, uh, the orientation, depending on the, the tradition of their society, they would even sometimes burn those bodies it, rather than bring them back into the camp and bury them with what we would consider a proper burial. Leprosy would almost always result in death, and leprosy could not be cured by man, and only God could cure it. Now, I won't redo all of that list, but you can see easily throughout that list, every single one of those things and many more could apply. The same could apply even unto sin. And henceforth, the only thing that could cure leprosy and likewise, the only thing that can cure sin is simply the master's touch. This man here listed in this account, and this is just Mark's account. Matthew has an account in Matthew chapter 8. Likewise, Luke has an account of this as listed in his version of it in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. I choose the book of Mark for this account, not because his is really indifferent. As a matter of fact, the parallel of it is almost precisely exactly the wording of Matthew. I choose it simply because if I look at Matthew's account of it, my Bible won't stay open. How about that? But in Mark's account of it, Mark goes into enough detail for us to understand it and enough detail for us to understand the conversation and ultimately to understand the coordination and the, the uh, orientation between what, what the leper does and ultimately what the Lord is going to do in order to take away his leprosy. So what I'll do on the screen tonight, and it's the first time in a long time I've got the screen to work, and David's to be appreciated. Where, where did David hide at? David was over there. There he is. David's to be appreciated for getting the adapter so I can do this on my computer. But I, what I want to do on the screen tonight is just put up exactly the process that I went through in order to understand this. It's exactly the process that you can see that develops for me in my mind, at least the outline that we're going to follow. Won't be anything aside from this. We'll take no side verses. We won't flip. We won't flop. It's exactly what you see here on the screen for you. And considering this text, we'll make the applications as they come. But I first wanted to, to divide this up and look with what, what you see here and what we consider as the leper's coming. That very first phrase you see here in the lepers coming, the scriptures tell us, and there came a leper to him. Of course, the him here is Jesus. When you consider the fact that this leper, this one leper out of whoever and whatever number there was out there in amidst and amongst the multitudes that were already following after Jesus or already recognizing who Jesus was, it was this leper that decided to come unto Him. Now the question that comes to my mind when I read any text, it doesn't matter what it is, Old Testament and or New, but especially in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel accounts, and especially in the accounts as they relate to where people encounter or come in contact with Jesus, is why in the world is that being written? Or why in the world is that being mentioned? Well, I think the reason behind this is very simple. I've tried to put some of these on here. First of all, if you think about it in Old Testament speak, this leper coming unto him was significant because lepers were, number one, they were restricted from coming into society. 
If you go back in your mind's eye to Leviticus chapter 13, particularly looking at verses 45 and 46, that's your, that's your reference. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, you find out that those lepers were cast out of the communities there. They thought for their own health's sake, they were cast out of their communities. And by the way, that's the text where they're commanded by the law of Moses. And we oftentimes know this much of it, at least. They're commanded by the law of Moses that if they were to encounter anyone from society, whether they be inadvertently passing by or whatever, they were supposed to cry out what? Unclean, unclean. That text in verse 46 also tells us that those lepers were supposed to rend their garment or to tear their garment into shreds and take a part of that garment and wrap it around their heads and cover the entirety of their heads, save their eyes. Because oftentimes their entirety of their bodies, including their faces, will be deformed. They, they would not be able, especially the men, would not be able to ever shave their mustaches. That's listed in the text in the Old Testament account. They were not able to shave their beards and to shave their mustaches for the pain and for the deformities. And they were supposed to be covering all of that. And these men were restricted from coming in. Now you think about that in the picture of leprosy versus sin. And how it is that whether it be the case or not, and it should not be the case, but in the case of leprosy versus sin, how that men oftentimes feel as if they're restricted from coming to Jesus. How that men oftentimes have the sense or they have the feeling or they have the, at least the, the idea that they're restricted from coming to Jesus. And I don't know how many times back uh, a week or so ago when Ronnie was here, I've heard Shane reference in a many a times where people maybe get that idea about the church. Where people maybe get the idea that the church is what I would call sometimes a secret society for snubbing sinners. Where they get the idea that the people inside of these four walls are some kind of special elite group and they need not come in because those people on the outside, they're sinful, they're hated, they're despised, they're different, and they need not come in. This individual right here is one that needed to understand, and he did, by the way, probably out of all of the others, he understood that even though he was restricted, and even though in the second place he might have been rejected, he was willing to go beyond the crowds. Now, we don't have this directly in the accounts, and by the way, I'm admitting in this, this is not necessarily backed up in this part of the verse by the biblical language, but we begin to get the idea as we look at the whole of the account, and especially as we look at verses 44 and 45 of this account, that this man's enthusiasm and his excitement about this was such that he was willing to pass by anyone to get to Jesus. He was willing to come to Jesus in spite of anyone who would try to stop him. Now, not listed here, but you can go through the biblical accounts over and over again where even Jesus' inner circle, even His own disciples, we would call them sometimes apostles, would oftentimes try to turn away the multitudes, would oftentimes try to push back the crowds, would oftentimes try to convince even children that they don't have the right to come to Jesus, that Jesus was too busy or Jesus was too involved or Jesus was too important to, to be seen to these people's needs. But in this leper's coming, he didn't care if he was restricted. He didn't care if he was rejected. And he didn't care in the third place if he was going to be resisted. He was coming to Jesus anyway. 
What's the application? If I or you or anyone else in the world ever has a need to come to Jesus, we have to do it, key words, in spite. In spite of anything that might stand in our way, including self. Number next. You read on in the text here, the text says unto us the next phrase, and there came to Jesus a leper to him, next word here, beseeching him. He was beseeching him. Now we see in that that there was not only the leper's coming, but there was also the leper's cry. When he came to Jesus, he didn't simply come to Jesus and stand in his presence. He didn't simply come to Jesus and be an onlooker. You know, I'm not trying to take away, (coughs) if you will, from Zacchaeus in any matter. But you remember what Zacchaeus did. He simply just came along the side of the multitudes. He kind of looked around and hopped and looked, and we can only imagine what he might have done. And eventually, we know the account how he climbed up in the tree. And he looked and he peered over and he tried to get a glimpse and tried to gain gain access. and so, But he never really on his own made his way to Jesus. This man here does something much different. The text says he came to him beseeching him. Now you say, well, what's special about the word beseeching? Well, we understand and we oftentimes retranslate the word and, and we kind of stand back like we've done something in doing so. But we retranslate the word and we say, well, very simply, the word beseeching is the word to beg. That is, this leper came to Jesus and when he came to him, he came to him in a sense of begging him. What does that imply? He came to him urgently. This leper understood that he had no other options. He had no other choices. He had no other way around it. He had to come to Jesus. Jesus was the only source he had. No other where he could, no other place he could turn. Now there are other options available for modern people in modern society if they were to come down with a disease even known or called leprosy. If they were to come down with any disease, pretty much any of us, and we know that there are many diseases, uh, many sicknesses or illnesses that we come down with even today that we know there ultimately is no cure. But we oftentimes in our society, especially in America, feel like we do have options. We feel like we do have resources. This man knew better. This man in his state knew that I have to come and I have to come to Jesus and I have to come to Jesus and I have to beg of Him. I have to see the urgency of my need. And so he came to Him urgently. Secondly, this is likewise important. The Scripture says he came beseeching Him. The next phrase says, and kneeling down. Now that word kneeling, we imply or we read into that that he somewhat dropped to his knees that he gave some word of a posture as if he got down on his knees. And that very well may be the case. I'm not arguing with that. But other of the accounts, and the word is often used from two different senses. One, it implies that he fell down. The literal word means he stumbled and tripped over himself. Now again, I think that plays back into the urgency of it in that as he was coming to Jesus and he was crying to Jesus, he's going to Jesus so quickly and moving so fast that he cannot help but fall over himself to get there. 
But as he comes to him, his posture emphasizes the fact that he comes to him also reverently. Because it's not just a matter of falling on his face. It's a matter of the fact that he gets down in a posture which represents ultimately worship. In a literal sense, it's almost as if he's laying completely on the ground and the only part of his body that even begins to look up is just his head. Other times the word itself is actually translated as that word word of worship. The word worship there, we don't usually discuss it in this way, but can actually be used in a sense of a dog licking the hand of his master. The idea is that honor is given irregardless of the state of the person who's giving it. And the honor is accepted in that manner irregardless or regardless of the state of the person who's offering it. Jesus is not rejecting what this man is doing. Jesus is not looking to this leper and saying to this leper, (coughs) in any state, in any form, uh, move on, get up, move out of the way. You don't have time or I don't have time for this. Uh, He's accepting him in this position of worship. So he comes to him urgently. He comes to him in this manner, in this sense at least, reverently. Thirdly, the next phrase says, and kneeling down, and then he comes to him humbly and saying unto him, if... Thou wilt. <clears throat> now I read across this phrase. I don't know how many times when I was sitting down just trying to think through and just trying to read through this text over and over. I see what you're doing. It's going to be well appreciated in a minute. I'm really not any better off than all the rest of y'all sick folks. I was just the last one on the totem pole. Shane called everybody new and I was it. And I wanted to play sick, but... I said, who else is he going to call? You'll soak in in a minute. I'm glad it ain't that fisherman thing, though. Them things rough. He ever give you one of them? Got to manhandle that. Sorry about that. And saying unto him, if... Thou wilt. Now, the two forms of the word if in the New Testament, one of them is what's called the first class conditional. This is what this is. This is if you can or if you, key word here, wilt, King James speak, if you would like to or if you desire to, if it is your will. What's he doing? He's stepping back here to Jesus, knowing the power that Jesus has, comprehending however means he found out or understood it. And he's saying to Jesus, Lord, I'm humble enough to understand that I cannot make you do this. I cannot call upon you to do this. I cannot persuade you to do this. If you do this, healing be implied, cleansing be implied, you will do this by your own will. You think this through. You and I understand as Christians, or, or at least as Bible students, even if we're not, that God offers us through His New Testament pattern right here between these two leather covers in my case, He offers us salvation. 
And we understand that through obedience to His plan, not ours, but through obedience to His plan, that salvation is not only offered, but it's promised. And in one sense, we would may, may want to think at least that if I obey the gospel, putting quotes around that, <coughs> then God is going to save me. But on the other hand, we cannot make Him. We have faith, we have trust, we have reliance, we have confidence, we have all that rolled together and more. But at the same time, if for some reason, I'm not implying that He would, just thinking this through, if for some reason we stood inside the gates of heaven and we opened this book, saying we had it in our back pockets, and we opened the book and say, God, I obeyed all this to the nth degree. And He said, yes, you did, exactly. You did exactly what I said, but I've changed my mind. We cannot change His mind. Thanks be to God, He won't do that. It's His will. Such is illustrated on, <coughs> on our Lord's behalf when He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on three occasions, Thy will be done. Such as He taught His own disciples to pray, Thy will being done on earth, as it is in heaven. When earth's will agrees with heaven's will, earth's will will finally be right. You see, he comes to him humbly. Number next. The phrase goes on here and says, not only comes to him humbly, but he comes to him faithfully. He says, if thou wilt, thou canst, watch the phrase here, thou canst make me clean. You see, he's got all the faith in the world in Jesus. Now, stepping into some assumptions, wouldn't you imagine, not, not just him perhaps, but wouldn't you imagine that the majority of lepers had either uh, given the options or made options uh, available to themselves or taken the o opportunity to see to the options that may have been available maybe by the false teachers of the day? Maybe by what we would call the fake healers of the day. Maybe by what we would call the, the doctors of their day. Don't you think that if someone had passed by their communities, passed by the leper colonies, that if they had come in and said, put this oil on your body, or rub this on you, or dip in these waters, or turn and go this way, or say this saying so many times, that they would have tried and tried and tried and done everything they could, that they would have appealed themselves and, and given themselves every chance? I would assume maybe... But he says to our Lord, as he lays there upon the ground and looks up <coughs> and peers up into his eyes, if you will, you can. You can make me clean. <clears throat> that takes a lot of faith. How many lepers do you suppose this man... <clears throat> had ever seen cleansed? Most likely none. How many lepers do you suppose this man had ever seen even survive? More than likely none. But he had confident faith. 
as Christians today. It's both our duty as well as it should be our desire to see that the world understands that if they're going to be saved from the sin, the leprosy of their lives, that they're going to have to put their faith in the only Lord that can save them. So we have this man's coming and this man's cry. But from the leper's coming and cry, then we turn to the Lord and we first see the Lord's compassion. I'll try anything once. We see the Lord's compassion. The very next verse of that, verse 41, and Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion and reached forth His hand. So looking at these phrases, sir, first of all, I noticed that Jesus responded. He actually responded to the man. Now, I'm just making some assumptions here for, for understanding's sake, but you can make the assumption that over and over again that probably most of the communities, most of the cities had leper colonies somewhere in the distance. And most of these people, as rampant as this disease had become in that day and in that time, had come in contact or at least seen these lepers passing outside of their gates or outside of their cities. And they had probably heard these men cry out. They had heard these men beg. They had heard these men want to be made whole. And they had probably done absolutely nothing. Paid them no attention, as we would say, not giving them the time of day and giving them, in this case, as I'm illustrating it, no response. Can you help me? I'm in pain. Can you help me? I'm broken. I just need some relief. The Lord responded. And He responded here as listed directly in the text with compassion. And we take the word compassion and we translate it very quickly. We say, well, compassion has to do with love. It has to do with concern. It has to do with care. No argument there. But the phrase here is peculiar. The phrase here listed in the account, both Luke's account as well as in Matthew's account says, and Jesus was moved with compassion. The implication is there that the compassion that Jesus had caused him to respond. It wasn't a matter of Jesus looking to him and saying, I love you. I care for you. I'm concerned about you. It wasn't a matter of any of that. It was a matter of Jesus actually, as the language would determine it, it was a matter that Jesus actually was moved on the inside. The word implies that Jesus felt pain within his bowels. That he was disturbed by what he saw. You say, well, of course, you know, a leper and their condition and the way that their bodies must have been deformed or mangled or, or maimed or whatever, uh, that would have disturbed anybody. And by the way, you can look on your Google or whatever you want. There, there are hundreds and thousands of pictures. I chose to put none of them up here. They're sickening. I don't think that had anything in the world to do with it. 
His compassion was for the inner man. In Matthew chapter 9, in verse 36, that doesn't sound right, but check that one. Matthew 9 and verse 36. The Scriptures tell us that as Jesus looked across the multitudes, He was moved with compassion. Why is that? Because He saw them as a sheep, or a sheep having no shepherd. The same phrase, the same language, English and Greek, and that phrase, as it does here, implied that Jesus began to shake. The word move there means he began to convulse with compassion. You ever been in a situation in your life, and I'm talking, I'm not talking about with compassion necessarily going to it, but something happened that happened suddenly that, that brings enough adrenaline rush as we might think of it upon us that we just begin to, you know, just, just, you just shake. Most likely fear would be connected with that. Sometimes joy, but there's no, you, you can't, you can't pull away from the moment. You can't back away from the feeling. That might be an inkling of what Jesus was experiencing. He responded. Second here, not only that, it says he was moved with compassion. The next phrase says, and he put forth his hand. He put forth his hand. He responded, but then he also reached. Do you know what it was like in that day? To have someone, if you were a leper in this case, you could assume, to have someone even to make a move in your direction? Why were they supposed to be, according to Leviticus 13, why were they supposed to be crying unclean, unclean, for the sole purpose of making sure that if they were to even get in the vicinity of anybody else, that that person were given the opportunity to get to leave their presence? They weren't crying unclean so that they could move away. They were crying unclean so that all of society and the communities and the, the people could move away. We've got a man, Jesus, who stops and reaches toward him. I would assume everyone around there was aghast. You can assume someone in the crowd said, I know he ain't. I know he's not fixing to touch him. But he was reaching. You know, by the same sense as Jesus, God is reaching for the sinner right now. Now, now, many sinners are kind of more in this posture, just kind of hands to their sides or behind their back and, and doing everything they can to keep from being taken hold of. Doesn't change the fact that God's reaching. The next phrase says, He reached for him, that is, He put forth His hand, but then He also received him, phrase, and He touched him. This is where the language gets even more interesting in my opinion. 
And that is, it's not the case that he touched him, and I'm going to do this to Cody. It's not like he came up and said, like, that wasn't so bad. Not at all what the Scripture says. He touched him in the sense that he gripped him. He grabbed him. You might even imply he embraced him. More than we would say he hugged his neck. Now we find in Luke's account that this man was fully, fully covered with leprosy. So we don't have a man who has leprosy that's moved up, say, his right arm, and the rest of the body was clean, and so the Lord was able to kind of brush up against the left side and, and fully. Maybe he had no hands. Maybe he had no nose. Maybe as many of them did, he had the stench of death already on him from the rotting flesh. And the Scripture says Jesus touched him. And implies he held on. Who among the multitudes would have done that? The Pharisees? The scribes? The other leaders of the Jews? The common men? Would I? I can remember a story Billy Hayes tells about a man that he was with one day. They were at the Talliga Nursing Home. I won't go into as much detail, although Billy tells it with a lot of detail. But he was with a man at Talliga Nursing Home doing some visiting one day. And he said they went into a room of a patient. And he said that, that when, when you came to that hall, there was a stench. And the stench was the fact that this person had an open cancer on their neck. And not knocking the nursing home or anything. It was, I mean, it was just, it was untreatable. It was just, it was terrible. And he said he walked in the room and he, he didn't really want to go in. Billy said he didn't really want to go in. You know, he, he just followed the man he was with. This man was a good, uh, loving person apparently. And he said he watched this man walk in the room, pass around the bed, go over to where this patient was sitting, lean over and give them a hug. He said he buried his face right there. And Billy says to this day, he'll never forget what he saw and he'll never forget the lesson he learned. And then I realized we could have learned the same thing from Jesus. He touched him. We've got to reach out and touch sinners. Number next. Not only do we have Jesus' compassion, but more importantly, we have Jesus' cure. <clears throat> Jesus rewarded him, but he rewarded him with a cure. And he saith unto him, next phrase, I will be thou, thou clean. 
So his cure involved control. That is, he had already stated, the leper, that is, had stated earlier, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. If you have a desire to make me clean, Lord, you'll do it. Jesus' response to that is, I have that desire. And the desire I have is that you will be clean. We would say 10-4. Amen. I agree. I concur. Quid pro crow. I don't know what that is, really. A fellow told me that about 35 years ago. I still don't know. Jesus says to this man right here, I got this. But again, some of the interesting language in this is that when he tells him, I will be thou clean, this man makes him clean to the extent that he's fully and completely clean. The key in this is the fact that we cannot be clean without Jesus' help. If Jesus had decided, you know what, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to cleanse you. I'm going to walk up and I'm going to reach and I'm going to touch and you'll get a big old bear hug and then I'm walking away and you won't be clean today, then then he wouldn't have been clean. In essence, the leper was asking for him, give me some relief, give me a break. Jesus said, I've got a desire that exceeds what you expect. I've got a desire that goes farther than you, than you desire. So his control is there. Second, his, the commencement of this is there. And immediately the text says. Or in the account we're looking at in Mark's account, I'm trying to quote Luke and Matthew at once, but in the account we're looking at right here says, and as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed. The moment Jesus said the words, I will be thou clean, it happened. Raise your hand if you know, I'm being serious about the participation. Raise your hand if you know somebody that's sick right now. If you've been sick lately, how many of them got better immediately? How many do you expect to get better immediately? Not a one. Them steroid shots make you feel mighty good, but it doesn't happen that quick. And it won't last. Immediately. Now stay with me on this. I just want you to think. (coughs) Salvation, like the curing of this man, is to take place immediately. Will we continue to grow? Yes. Will we continue to have a need to repent? Oh, yes. But the point at which we are saved is immediate. I'm not talking about the plan. I'm not talking about hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. I'm talking about the process. 
You're not saved by hearing. You're not saved by believing. You're not saved by repenting. You're not saved by confession. You're saved at baptism. It's not on the way in the water. It's not on the way out. It's why you're in. Somebody comes up out of the water and says, well, you know what? I've been saved and, and, and all of that. And I, I plan on, I plan on uh, working toward getting better. You, you should. And you will. But as quickly as this man's leprosy was taken away, so our sin is the same. Immediately. Then lastly here, I think I could turn around and look, couldn't I? There was the completion. And immediately, the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Two words matter in here. First of all, the word was, past tense. Cleansed, past tense. But the implication is bigger than that. This man said, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Literal language, he says, if you want to, you can take away what people see. My skin won't be white anymore. The blisters, the sores will be gone. And I'll feel better. Jesus said, it is my will. I'm going to make you clean. You can assume this man's mind immediately says, thank you much. But the final phrase here says he was made completely whole. Those fingers that were lost were restored. If the nose was missing, no longer. The voice that would not work as well was now clear. The spotted skin was made clear. The pain was completely gone. That was it. You're made whole, not half. You think about that. The Lord has never intended on bringing any of us part way. He has never intended on taking a man or woman and bringing them to Him to the extent of bringing them up and saying, okay, you just do the best you can. I'll take away as much sin as I am able. Made whole. Complete. I don't know to what extent or what shape this man's life had ever been. But whatever leprosy had taken away, he had regained. So what does it take? 
It takes coming to Jesus. It takes crying out to Jesus. It takes the Lord's compassion. But none of it will work without His cure. Why would anyone, anyone, not want to be cured from such a disease as this? Why would any person not want to be cured from a disease like sin? There's really no explanation. You know what it takes? Realistically, one touch. You say, well, it takes hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, be baptized. It, it does, but it takes one touch from the Master. That's all. If the Master could, that's not the right word, would, that's not it. Is allowed to, maybe. To touch my life. No. To take hold of my life. I'll be whole. It's not a moment in time. It's an eternity that hangs in the hand of our Lord. If you're here tonight and you're not the child of God that you desire to be, you're living as a leper. You're cast out of the colony, removed from His presence. You're as sick as any dead man. And all you need is a touch of our Lord. <coughs> Cry out. Call on Him. Come home in prayer. If you're not a child of God's, you reiterate the hear, believe, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, but it's as simple as saying, be touched by the Master. He's waiting through His commands. Why not make your decisions tonight while we sing this invitation song?